and welcome to the FEZ show. The Mexican E-Pri has been and gone and it gave us a couple of surprises. And with me to talk about some of those surprises is Edward Hunter and Jack Pickering. How are we boys? Mr. Hunter, how are you? Uh, very good, thanks. And uh, <laughs> I'm very, feeling very fortunate my prediction for Jake Dennis to win the uh, championship has got off to a perfect start. But of course, it could all come crashing down in the next couple of races. But uh, I feel, I feel like I feel somewhat vindicated after all the jeers and laughs from uh, not just people in this in these calls, but also people in the comment sections throughout the world. I guess who are like Jake Dennis. Nah, it's going to be Van Dorn or Vern or Gunfer or Motara. And uh, no, no, it was Jake Dennis. <laughs> you think we got enough people to yes. uh, to uh, do our comment section? Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> just rub it in, though. Rub it in. I mean, uh, mine went spectacularly badly. Uh, I uh, I did what's known in the industry as a George Mayner, uh, and so yeah, I yeah, I'm ready to put that one to one side. And um, yeah, we it, the race has come thick and fast. We got two this weekend as well. I know. I feel like being me being part of the industry, right? Like, oh, you've done a George Mayner. You just predicted the best guy from testing to win the first race which I did with Gunther, by the way, and that didn't go too well. That's kind of like the surprises, really, because when we think about testing Pico, right, Porsche, which obviously have the Andretti, is, is powered by the Porsche as well, they were worried. Like, they were saying, you know, we can't do these lap times. Even Jack Nichols mentioned that on in commentary, that we, we can't do this. So to go to Mexico and to be as strong as Jake Dennis was and Andre Lotterer, to be honest with you, and, and the Porsches weren't too far behind either, um, probably be a bit annoying for Porsche though that you know their powertrain not doing as good as as Andretti but for them to go we can't do this to then win the first race and even with Lotterra could have easily got a podium as well it was almost a Porsche powertrain lockout if um, Lotterra got past Hughes a little bit earlier on then um, then yeah I think Lotterra would have been able to have a crack at Degrassi and potentially stand on the podium but um uh, our last three Porsches in the top four definitely wasn't what was um, uh, what was on the cards after testing, and um, and I think every I think everyone who predicted uh, samey results uh, had it came back to bite all of us, and so yeah, I think Jake did a phenomenal job. Um, but as I said in the last show, that's something that I did get right. Porsche always excel in Mexico. It's just. It's just something about that circuit uh, where Porsche just do really, really well. And Pascal Wehrlein, uh finished second as well. Yeah. So, Ed, like, with Jake Dennis then, because obviously you, Mystic Meg here predicting that Jake Dennis was going to do well. Is it was it is it just a one-race, like a one-race bluff in a sense, right? We know Porsche have been strong in Mexico before, even at Puebla and, and here at the Mexico City E-Prix. Do you think this is something that's going to stick and, you know, Porsche are going to be strong throughout the championship or, or do you see them potentially fading like they kind of did in in previous seasons? It's hard to see to tell, really, because uh, we had Mark Preston on during the race and he was sort of saying, uh, well, we Porsche always go well at high speed tracks like Mexico, like Valencia, even though testing didn't go well for, for them at Valencia. And I was sort of implying that People are going to come out and say that Porsche were sandbagging uh, during preseason testing, which uh, is isn't is interesting in the in the that they were definitely playing down expectations going into into Mexico. 
But uh, Mark Preston didn't seem too... He, he was surprised, I think, by the level of dominance, but he wasn't surprised that the Porsche powertrains were very, very quick. Interesting word on Lotter, actually, nearly getting the podium, because Lotter, they actually... I was listening back to the team radio compilation, and basically Lotter was told halfway through the race, right, the battery's overheating, we need to retire the car. And Andre was like, what? No, let's stay out. And then suddenly a safety car came from Motara, I think. It was uh, crashing out at the first corner. And then, then they were like on the radio to Andre. He's like, okay, actually, Andre, the problem's gone away now. Carry on, stay out. <laughs> so that was a pretty surreal moment that maybe shows Porsche, the powertrain, they didn't, uh, Andretti didn't have things quite as under control of the second car as uh, Jake Dennis did with the uh, lead car. And Dennis, you have to say, once he got past uh, Degrassi and Mahindra slightly got the energy management wrong uh, on their lead car, at least. But they did very well to get pole position anyway. Uh, but uh, you have to say... Uh, Great job uh, by Porsche to sort of maximise the result. Will it continue for the rest of the season? There are some different tracks, certainly, that's going to test the car in different ways. Uh, I think the other teams will be stronger at other venues, but I don't expect Porsche to suddenly sink down the order like a stone by the time we get to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, talk about that quickly, because obviously you and Joshua Birch obviously did the YouTube live commentary with Mark Preston um, on YouTube. Um, which was really good, and I remember watching some of the clips of, of that, and Mark Preston going into detail on like the energy management side of things and so forth, and, and and what was expected. What was it like, just you know, having his insight? Um, you know, obviously not in Formula E at this precise moment, but you know, to have his insight, someone who's been in Formula E since day one, whilst commentating. It was really fascinating. I really enjoyed uh, spending that time with him, and it was the sort of thing where. If I remember correctly, um, Mark sort of saw a comment that I'd written that where we basically, I was t uh, having a go at someone slagging off Formula E and Mark was like, I want to really talk about this. And he said, how about we do the interview during the race? And I suggested Josh's commentary to him and we sort of just ended up doing it together. And we had like uh, for four people total and somehow we didn't end up all talking over each other, which is great. But Mark's insight, you could tell there was a little bit of definitely disappointment of the fact that he wasn't on the grid because it was the first time and I think uh, he did the first 100 races with Aguri and then to Cheetah and this is the first race in like since Formula e began it September 2014 in Beijing that he hasn't been at a Formula e race so there was a sense of kind of missing out but also a sense of when like when uh, Mortara had the issue in the DS powertrain in the back of that Maserati, the, Josh sort of said to him something like, um, oh, I bet you're glad that's not your car. And he said, yes, a little bit. So I thought I found little moments like that quite funny. His comments about Sam Bird as well, when Sam Bird retired, uh, he basically said oh, that drive shaft failure, that's pretty unforgivable because that's the sort of thing that Tachita would have caught on a rig before the season started in sort of testing and that uh, they shouldn't have just suddenly discovered the issue flying halfway across the road and he said he went as far as saying Sam Bird should switch teams and I said oh do you think he should drive for Tachita then and he said oh Sam's a good guy but <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a small problem that Tachita is kind of dissolved so there's no Tachita for Sam Bird to switch over to but uh, certainly if Mark Preston in whatever form he comes back to the sport I certainly think uh there's a, there's a shopping list of drivers to, to look out for. But yeah, anyway, really great uh, chat. Really enjoyed it. I'm going to pick up on that because obviously we've got to talk about bads and the goods, right? And I suppose Pico Sandberg comes under the bads, right? But it's not really his fault, right? Because the FP2, he didn't get basically any running because he had a problem, right? So then that kind of set him back, right? It's not his fault. Obviously qualifying doesn't go the way you expect, but he didn't have FP2. So like you can't expect much going into qualifying, 
And then he gets the drive shaft failure, which is really interesting what Ed said there, that, you know, these failures from a team are, are pretty unforgivable at this stage because you should be able to spot if that's going to happen. And, and Jaguars seemed like they were one of the teams that did have quite a bit of problems in the private preseason testings um, with their with their powertrain. So um, an interesting one on that. So what do you think on Sam Bird? Is it him? I, well, you... Is it him? Is he just going through? Is it just rotten bad luck for him, or is it? Is there? Is there more to it potentially? Just before that, you mentioned FB two. He um he came to a stop. Imagine if that had happened on one of these weekends where the, they have to put in the practice driver, and so going into the race, the or going into qualifying, the race driver has actually had no prep whatsoever. So that would be in that uh, that would be interesting to see what what would happen there but um uh but yeah with sam uh, one thing that i really fear at the moment is that he might be going through a bit of what i'm going to call an alexander rossi phase um for those who haven't kept up with indycar uh alexander rossi had won in every single season that he'd competed in indycar up until i believe um it was either 2019 or 2020 was the first year that he didn't win and then since then he's kind of had a lull where he didn't win and that was broken thankfully uh in the summer last year at uh, indianapolis but um that's what I, I i kind of feel at the moment that's kind of what sam's going through he's going through that phase where it just it so he's trying everything and right now it's just not working out um but yeah i uh, yeah, but yeah i think sam uh, he's since he's gone to the team, I, I don't want to say that he's uh, gone to Jaguar. Uh, I don't want to say that he's been comfortably beaten by Mitch, but he kind of has. In in both seasons so far, Mitch got more points, and then last season it was it was a case of Mitch was fighting for the title, and Sam's best result, which came in, I believe it was the opening race, and Deria was a fourth place. But um, but yeah, so I I think. I think everyone's a bit of a Sam Bird fan. I'll be honest, I have, I've, I love everyone on the grid, really, and I want them all to do well. But, um, yeah, to, to see him go through this after the first seven years where he won a race in every single season, it's not great. And if it continues on for a couple of seasons, then, yeah, I think maybe he should take up Mark Preston's advice and maybe switch again. Well, it's, it's kind of like the story of the grass isn't greener on the other side, right? So if we think Sam Bird, right? So he's gone to obviously switch from, Envi from Envision Racing, but well, that's their name, it was Envision Virgin at the time. But that was his team effectively, and he was doing really well with um, Envision Virgin Racing, uh, as in, in Envision now. It's kind of like Robin Frines as well, Ed. Like, obviously going to Apt, and obviously the Audi links that Robin has, Ryan, obviously, he had a bit of an awkward crash as well, which has is, is taken him out um, with his, his hand injury. Um, I think it's a fractured wrist, if I remember correctly. Um, and Kevin van der Linn will come in for, for Diria. But, like, that was a strange move. And it's like, Rob, in, Robin Fryens, like, that effectively became his team. Obviously, Nick Cassidy pushed him uh, last season. But Robin Fryens, and then moving to Apt, and Apt looked nowhere they look like okay they're going to be a back marker and it seems like there's like a project there for app to get better over a couple of seasons but for robin frange like he wants to win championships it just didn't seem like the right move for him and 
did we sort of see some fruit of that um, in in Mexico? Well, the problem with these sort of driver moves is not all of them are going to pay off instantly. Uh, you'd have to be a very, very lucky driver with an incredible level of almost Edward Hunter level foresight to always move to a competitive team that's going to win races. <laughs> but anyway, without putting too much of a... Because another joke I made with Mark Preston was that uh, Joshua said, oh, me and Ed should hire all the drivers for you, Mark. And I said, oh, that's probably a good way of making a team go bankrupt very quickly. So I wasn't, I didn't let it all get to my head. But um, uh, but anyway, going back to Sam Bird and Robin Frines, uh, is an interesting comparison because Sam also is recovering from a hand injury as well from London because he had to miss the final two races in Seoul uh, at Jaguar. So um yeah, there was always a sense when Bird made that move of him going into Mitch Evans's team because Evans had been there from the very beginning, is well nested in there, very well liked. And not that Sam isn't well liked, but maybe having that level of integration means that uh, inevitably, when certain decisions happen, uh, you get a little bit of priority treatment. Uh, and I think certainly Mitch Evans. There's always that sense that Evans is always able to get the maximum out of the car, and I feel like there isn't maybe... Maybe with Sam Bird, it's a little bit kind of... It comes and goes at certain points of the season. Uh, as for Robin Frines, which is the question you actually asked me about, um, yeah, I, I feel like at sort of... There was a little bit of him... I got the sense that he sort of was pushed a little bit from Envision, that maybe he would have stayed, but there was a sense that he put a title bid together last season and maybe the team didn't always support him as much as it maybe could have. I think maybe the team celebrating Cassidy's first win when if they'd restart the race, maybe Frines could have uh, snuck a win. Maybe that was a little bit of an example. Not that the stewards made the wrong decision, but maybe that was a little bit of an example of Frines feeling a little bit not as... Maybe like it wasn't his team anymore. That maybe when Bird left, he expected to be the sort of number one and they sort of shifted over to Nick Cassidy. And now, of course, they've got Boemi in there as well, who had a pretty good start to the season in Mexico too. So uh, I feel like Frines... Yeah, the hand injury is a big setback, but I feel like... Uh, we know what App did when they were partnered with Audi. I feel like in a couple of years' time, App might be a much more competitive prospect. Maybe not even a customer team if Cooper can uh, get something together, but we don't know exactly what the long-term aspirations of that deal is. So, yeah, I feel like um, it's very easy to look at Robin Fryan's recovering with a broken wrist and say he's made a bad call here, but we don't know uh, exactly what that App team is going to look like when they don't have to rush all of their 11th hour pre-season preparations to get on the season nine grid with a completely new car i feel like season 10 season 11 that's where we're going to see whether it was the right move or not for apt yeah for me for frines it i i'm not saying he's getting old right but he's, he's edging <laughs> he's edging to his 30s now and i know in formula e you can race i'm just double checking now literally how old robin frines is robin frines is 31 i knew he was about 30 31 years old well we're kind but of edging me, towards our 30s too yeah, i don't know yeah, if you noticed we are, i know yeah we are edging towards i don't like it yeah i know it's horrible but anyway moving on um it's just for me i felt like especially his character when he was in you know in vision racing he wanted to win right but then to move i yes i understand the links with audi and so forth and apt but i just it, it felt like this is weird like Okay, what? Wait until you're 34, maybe? Give it three, three, 33, maybe? A couple of seasons and then start winning again. But you never know what changes in those couple of years. Um, and, and if Ryan's, you know, has the interest to do that, and he seems like that kind, kind of driver that just wants to be in a winning position now and doesn't want to build projects, he wants to win races. And that's what I think 
Robin, he might want to build a, like a project, that might be him, but his personality, his character, his what he gives off when you speak to him in, in the media pen is very much, I'm here to win now, right? And I go back to that Monaco interview where I interviewed him and it's on the Formula E YouTube channel. It's even in the little, like, you know, the intro about what the channel. And I said to him, like, what do you think, you know, you can do to like win you know, be in this championship your third currently he's like yeah i'm not here to finish third i'm here to win it and i was like all right then <laughs> and and you know that that line still strikes me with robin like bit of a i don't understand the move i get the move i don't understand if it was you know he should have been drawn to those audi links with with apt to 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 start this project but you know you know we never know i might be wrong he could be world champion in, in two years with apt who knows that's the thing but um I just find it really interesting. And I want to talk about some other bads, Pico, because, okay, we sat here and said, yeah, Maserati, Gunther, he's the man this year. That's my man. That's who I said is going to win the championship. And I'm now looking like a silly... Who is we? Billy. I'm saying, who's we here? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Me, right? But anyway, so I'm looking at, looking at DS and I'm looking at Maserati. Like, they did not have the day that any of us expected going into the Mexican Prix, like, do you, is that a blip? Is it just a one race, didn't get it right, will get it right in Diria? Or if they don't get it right in Diria, do we have a massive, do we have a massive situation on our hands already where Maserati and DS, two teams that dominated last season, really, with Maserati on the Venturi name, not being able to do anything this season? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if it's not just a blip. Uh, I'm expecting as soon as we get to Diria this weekend that, uh, that there'll be... Well, we know that you can't really dominate the championship, but um, they will be there or they're about fighting for, fighting for wins. But it, the thing is, it's so incredibly close. I think in Mexico City FP2, I think that the top 12 was separated by three tenths of a second from nine different teams, I think it was. I, the, I, I think just to, wrong, just to interject, yeah. that's been happening in Formula E now for, for a while. So is three temps, right? We say, oh, it's so great. It's so great that there's three temps that separate, right? Or, you know, but is that a big gap in Formula E? Because they couldn't do anything in the race. So is three temps actually a big gap? In terms of one lap pace, when you're doing qualifying, it's 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 really not. You see, like like even if, like, I, I I hate comparing it to other series, but three tenths is, would is the gap between usually pole and second place in in other racing series. Whereas Formula E, three tenths is literally the gap that you get that covers it all. Obviously, when it comes to qualifying, we have a very different qualifying format to what every other motor racing series does so you will not get as as small margins covering a wider range of cars uh but uh but you will get occasionally like it was in um was in diria uh, uh, one of the first duels i think it came uh, the first duel came down the first final it came down to something along the lines of a few thousands of a second so yeah i i think it's I think it's very nice that we see like the cars all bunched uh, bunched together in practice. That won't resonate when it comes to qualifying uh, because of the format. But um, yeah, I reckon that DS and Maserati they'll be 
much more prominent in Diria. Um, but I mean, like, if they don't get a win this weekend, I wouldn't be surprised because that's just the competitiveness of the championship. Okay, so this is a really interesting point, right? Because I feel like we've jumped into a rabbit hole here. So, and the rabbit hole I think we've jumped into, Ed, is that this is a driver's championship then. It's not as much of a team's championship because it comes down. The teams are so close, and I find it really interesting that even though we've gone into a new generation and it was the same in Gen 2, that's why I brought it up to Pico, because we had this in Gen 2 where the cars, you know, especially towards the end of Gen 2, where it was a couple of attempts and it could go down to 12th, 15th place, right? We go back to that season where we had 15 drivers who could have potentially won the race when Nick DeFries won the championship. Is this a driver's championship? It, does this prove that really in Formula E, the drivers, and maybe why drivers are flocking to it, is because the drivers do have an actually massive involvement. Because if Jean-Eric Verne, if Stoffel Van Dorn potentially have the best car, they don't get the lap right in their starting 12. You can't recover. So it, 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 is, it is a proper driver's championship. I think I agree with you on that, that the driver has a very, very key role in not just setting up the car, but delivering uh, under huge amounts of pressure over basically a single lap. When If you get into the duels, it's essentially you got one lap to do it in. And it was really the group stages where it went really wrong for them. And then in the race, uh, we had this uh, thing where Vern hit the back of... They actually made a pretty good progress midway through the race, the two DS Penskys anyway. And they were running like 10th and 11th. And then Vern hit the back of Fenestraz, who was really struggling to get on top of the uh, energy management. Obviously, in his one of his first ever proper Formula E race at Fenestraz. And he, he hit the back, lost his front wing. And there was a great radio message, I think, which was along the lines of... Um, uh, someone from DS Penske, uh, the engineer, was uh, calling up Jeff and saying, oh, well, there's a bit of uh, debris at uh, turn six and seven. He's like, yeah, that's my front wing, mate, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. And um, and basically, Vern was obviously a bit wounded after that, and then eventually Van Dorn got through. I think I made a comment as Vern was crossing the line, that, oh, my goodness, there's not much left of Jeff's car as he's crossing the line. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel like... Um, I think we can definitely read it as a blip, uh, the points, but I think the drivers are such high quality, and I think DS has put so many, so much resources into it, through Stellantis, uh, into those two teams, the Maserati and DS Penske, uh, that the development's going to be playing a part across the season, especially in terms of software, of course, that I find it hard to believe that we're not going to see them come strike back at some point later in the season, that I feel like there's just so much quality in those two teams that... It would be surreal if it didn't pay off and Porsche just ran away with it. As good as Jake Dennis and, and Pascal Berline as well, if you're in a second for Porsche, as good as those two are, I don't see them both just walking off into the sunset. I feel like uh, Gunther Mortara, Van Dorn, Verne are going to strike back at some point. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I just think it's interesting because Formula E, no one, and I know boys would agree, no one will do a Max Verstappen. No one will get it wrong in qualifying, start 15th or 16th. And I don't think we've really ever seen it. And fight all his way back to a podium or even win the race. I just because obviously Formula E is that competitive, and obviously they're on street tracks, and it was hard to overtake, which we'll get onto actually. I want to mention some quick goods then because I, I don't, we're going to run out of time otherwise, so we're going to have to keep this a brief mention. But obviously, Pico, we said at the top of the show that Porsche are good, but obviously they they fit into the good section. Andretti, Porsche, McLaren with Jake Hughes especially. Obviously, they're the former Mercedes team. And then we've got Mahindra looking good as well, but energy management being a little bit of 
the a D issue there with with Lucas Degrassi. Obviously, a great first race for him, nearly nearly winning it, um, taking pole of course uh, for 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 Mahindra, which was nice to see Mahindra back up there. Let's talk. Let's start with Mahindra actually, because it's, we've talked about Andretti, we've talked about Porsche. How good was it? You know, not since the days of Felix Rosenquist have we really seen a Mahindra, you know, fight at the front. Two words, Alex Lynn, London last year. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah. Two uh, years. Poor, yeah, Alex. It's, it's a, poor Alex. Wow. You, you know what I mean. Like, that was a one yeah, race. Yeah, but, you know, this could yeah. be like something for, you know, Felix Rosenquist yeah. Mahindra was consistent. This could be something that's more consistent than Alex Lynn in London. But yes, you're very right. Yes, uh, yes. But it was very nice to see uh, Mahindra back at the front because um, they, 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 they've always kind of been like the underdog team. Most most people that I know who watch FE, they kind of find their way into sporting Mahindra because they're sort of the big team that are more like underdogs. And so it's 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 nice to see them do well. Obviously, they had a massive signing in terms of getting Lucas Degrassi to join the team for this season, and it's delivered immediately. I mean, that bit of, Lucas Degrassi is basically Mr. Formula E, and to see Mr. Formula E taking pole in the first outing for Gen Three, I think I, I I think that that just made sense in the end. But um, although that was fantastic, they do need to focus on their um. Uh, energy management that's the word I was looking for um because although he led for the first I want to say about eight laps or so uh Dennis then overtook him and went on to dominate and he was basically the cork in the bottle and uh and yes eventually um Verline got passed but it was clear that he that he was holding up everyone up to about seventh ish and then so Mahindra, it's nice to see them back at the front, but they need a little bit more to get them properly fighting at the front again. And then a word for Jake Hughes, Ed, because um, Jake Hughes, you know, a great first outing for a rookie in Formula E in, in that McLaren. Oh, let's call it uh, what the broadcast was calling it, Jack, the neon McLaren. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jake Hughes certainly, yeah, it was certainly very impressive and uh, put in a pretty spectacular performance in qualifying was incredibly quick um and um certainly outshone Rene Rast Rene Rast had a very difficult weekend I think a lot of people expected Rene Rast's experience to come to the fore he was making a bit of progress and then had to retire but Hughes really the only mistake was right near the end when um he wasn't told that the yellow flag at the chicane had been turned turned into a slippery surface flag so Lotterer was told by his engineer immediately right it's slippery surface so you can get past him and he slotted up the inside. Jake Hughes couldn't really do anything about it because the time he realised what was happening, it was too late. Uh, so, and Jake Hughes, the only thing I would criticise is maybe he used up a little bit too much energy trying to get past Degrassi and it didn't work. But that's the sort of thing that happens in your first Formula E race. Uh, I think they'll be very happy with uh, fifth place there, uh, considering they've got a new powertrain in Nissan, which uh, the rumours say is very, very efficient, the Nissan. So I think we're yet, yet to see the best out of the Nissans either. But uh, yeah, McLaren definitely seemed to be leading the charge. And I think Jake Hughes has probably made a lot of new fans after his performance in Mexico. Yeah, he, he really had a great day for, for McLaren to Jake Hughes. And I think he impressed a lot of people. So I want to start, um, well, I say start, I want to move on to sort of the race. Now, Pico, two things we'll, we'll talk, want to talk about and I want to get your views on. People said the race was boring. 
right? Now, it was really interesting because obviously you were talking about the Mahindra and for being 2% down, like he didn't fall down the grid. We didn't really see the overtaking that maybe we expected and that obviously is credited to Lucas de Grassi and, and the amazing drive that he did to, to hold on to that podium place. But there was that lack of maybe Formula E craziness that that happens normally um, in, that we find in, in Formula E. And then I will move on to attack mode. I just want to get your thoughts on the attack mode rather than the two by four minutes, they're split. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I, I, I think it didn't help that we started off the season with two back-to-back safety cars, it really was. Uh, so, yeah, not not uh, not the best way to start the year, but... Um, uh, but yeah, the, the thing is with, I think it was a case with a lot of the Gen 1 races as well. Uh, it was a bit of a slow burner. So the first, you know, half hour or so, there wasn't really much to scream about. However, the second half hour was actually a fan to, uh, was uh, was actually fan- fascinating to watch and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I think a lot of those people saw the first half hour and tuned out. Uh, but um but yeah, the thing is, it's, it's going to take a bit of time for people to get their head around Gen 3, what the new cars are like. Uh, and also the fact that we uh, introduced an, an extra chicane, meaning that overtaking was going to be a bit more difficult around the circuit. So I, I, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I think when we go to different tracks, it'll be fine. But um, but yeah, that's I mean, that, that's it's just one race. We can't just judge everything based on one race. Uh, however with attack mode i th- i think it's interesting to see this this new format of attack mode uh so for those who are unaware it's either three minutes then one minute uh one minute then three minutes or two each um and and it's up to the drivers to decide what they want uh yes it made it a little bit hard, harder to follow but i feel like it made strategy a bit more interesting in terms of what each each team did and i was finding it interesting whenever it came up just to see oh they've only gone uh, they've only gone for a minute or they're taking the three early or are oh, they just split it into like they did last year i mean that's the bit that i weren't impressed about and i was like oh they're, they're doing the old format not the interesting one but um but yeah i think i i think it's another thing it's race one we're going to find out more about it this weekend and as we go on to the new circuits hyderabad cape town and brazil and of course when we get supercharged whenever that uh, eventually um comes in i've so, heard jakarta for that jakarta. Uh, but when uh, not 100 percent sure don't count on just don't confirm don't count. that mini mini exclusive there from mr pickering but he's not quite sure um uh, Mr. Hunter, what do you think, Ed? What do you think on on attack mode and and people finding their first race a little bit boring, not up to Formula E standards? Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe this is a consequence of what you were saying last time we did a show, where you basically said, "Oh, this is going to be the best season ever," and it's maybe people setting the ceiling ridiculously high. And like like Piggy said, those first two safety cars maybe. Don't sort of... blame me though. I'm not blaming don't you. Blame me. That's just the attitude that I think it's a, it's like a house of cards. It was bound to fall over a little bit at some point. But um, but I definitely um, I really I agree the safety car sort of impacted it and it became more interested near the end. But I really appreciated the the changes to attack mode. I thought having it on the outside as well before when we went to Mexico, it's on the inside and it always just led to carnage and needless sort of accidents. Basically, you think of the two Mahindras running into each other there in season three, uh, back in the Rosenquist Heidfeld glory days, I guess. But um, I uh, but I um. 
I thought it worked really well with the strategic strategy because Porsche and Verline used it basically. They were really aggressive. They were always using attack mode first. I think they used three minutes and then one minutes for Verline. And basically they used it to jump Lotterer, to jump Hughes and get into second place and then get past Degrassi on track. So I found that really interesting that uh, you can have a quick car, but as long as you use the attack mode properly, uh, you can use a way, find a way to get past some of these other cars, even though overtaking is a bit tricky. So, uh, yeah, all, I think all big positives, and uh, I think it's going to play out much the same way the rest of the season. I think I really enjoyed the the added laps. I, I like that concept, because I was I was there like, oh, Degrassi's fine, there's plenty of percentage. And then someone told me, yeah, but we still got added laps. We don't know how many laps are coming. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a true fact. Like, I don't know how many laps are coming. Because I was I doing was the math. that was you. <laughs> yeah, it was you. Uh, and I was like, okay. And then when we got five laps, I was like, oh, it's going to be so close for him. And I was like trying to find out if he was going to make it or not. So, boys, to wrap up the show, Forza Diria. It's a completely different track. Um, for me, Diria is my favorite track. I think it's such a fast-flowing. I think it's one of the best Formula E tracks out there. But, which which is different to Mexico. So, therefore, do we think we're going to get a different result there, in, in a sense? Do we think that DS and Maserati, who look strong in testing Pico would you know be those that will come to the front again or do you think really this Porsche we're going to see it again and Jake Dennis or Andre Lotterer or any of the Porsche drivers you know the Costa and, and Verline could be at the front again I'll be honest I'm really I'm really looking forward to what uh, Edward Hunter has to say having seen no racing laps at Diria ever so um but yeah I think I think it's going to be an interesting one because it's uh, it's the first proper street circuit of the year so we're we, uh, we'll have to see. Um, I still think Jake will be there or thereabout. I, I reckon that we'll see a more of a prominent force from like the McLaren, the DS or Maserati. But um, yeah, I think that it's, it's Formula E. Why do we have to predict anything? Great answer, Peter. Because I, I, I told you. Uh, right. Is it... Ed, thoughts. Who's going to win the Dirium e Prix? There's two of them, by the way. Okay. My view on the Diri Epri is well known, so I won't go too much into that here. But um, but yeah, I feel Nissan are going to be very strong. I think we didn't see the best of Nissan. Norman Nato had a very early bath after being hit by Frines in the back. So I think uh, I think we haven't seen the best of Norman Nato. I think Mortar is looking to strike back in that Maserati. And I think the McLarens are still going to be very strong. So that's who I'm going to be looking for in, a, in well, if I was watching Diri, which I won't be. Splendid. Right, boys, we have reached the end of the show. Thank you so much for being on. And again, we've got a double header to look forward to, minus said. Um to 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 see Formula E again. It's great actually to have, you know, racing back um and in such a short period of time. So boys, thank you so much uh for, for being with me again. Thank you. See you in a few weeks, I guess. <laughs> we will indeed. Well, we'll be back to talk, maybe Edward, but we'll be back to talk everything. Um about the Dira E Pre in a couple of weeks' time. Well, I say a couple of weeks, probably in a week's time. Um, so we look forward to that. Enjoy the E Pre, and we will see you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>